remember, we're about to engage our teaching text. And so if you're a child with us, be ready for your part. It's going to come on the screen right as, as Hadley here reads it. So be ready to join in speaking the word of the Lord together. living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, turning, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Hill, grace and peace be with you. Mm. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ashley Island. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and I'm joined by Troy Hatfield, our other co-lead pastor, who's also, was that, you were slapping the bass for a little while. Okay, I don't do that part, but Troy is multi-talented, multi-dimensional. So thank you for being with us this evening. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. We're so glad that you're here. Um, have you ever had a kid creep on you in the middle of the night at the side of your bed. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. If you're like me, you needed to, in that moment, in that split second, remind yourself that this pint-sized intruder is indeed a beloved child of the Most High God. Worthy of love and attention at all forsaken hours, because if you don't, ninja reflexes might have the last say. 
the weary, mature adults would completely miss the tenderness of such a vulnerable moment. A child's need for some water, a snack, another back rub, just wanting a few more minutes to be with us. In the moment, you might be too tired to care, and yet you will yourself out of your bed to carry or coax that child back to theirs. This might involve a lot of whining on your part. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you linger just a little longer and watch them float their eyes closed. You listen to their breathing, you marvel at them. Maybe even you grow soft on the inside in a moment of gratitude. And though your breath smells and there's still sleep in your eyes, you may not be able to go back to sleep, or if you do go back, the sleep won't be as good. Your weariness finds itself in awe and wonder. What does it take for a weary, wandering soul to find itself in awe and in wonder? What we have to understand is that the shepherds, as we meet them here in Luke's account, they were weary too. They weren't respected as shepherds had been in King David's time. They were seen as despised, unreliable, accused sometimes of taking up too much space or using land that wasn't theirs, unable and unworthy to take part in the holy and honorable religious ceremonies of their elite counterparts. How lonely that must have been. Not to mention that it's the middle of the night and their job is to keep watch. They're awake. But because despite their lonely and wearied state, they were keeping watch at a time when no one else was, they were on the receiving end of a glorious encounter that presumably no one else saw. And it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder, what if our weariness, what if the darkness that you might be experiencing right now where you sit, what if at our most confused moments perhaps, what if in our sleepy stupor or in our loneliness, what if that was the exact time God wanted to show up and encounter us? To think of our own community. What if in your grieving? What if in your recent separation? What if in your diagnosis or your child's rebellion? What if in your identity crisis? or job uncertainty? What if in your apathy or the pain you've been trying to numb this entire year? What if you're so tired doing the mundane things you know you don't know if you'll make it through a day? What if the dark and the weariness were actually the perfect backdrops to the projection of God's glory and good news? What if in those times, 
What if in these times, small or large interruptions weren't interruptions at all, but intimate invitations to presence? I hear the children talking around us, and I say, these aren't interruptions, these are invitations. If they're one of yours, pay attention. What might God be longing to say to you, even in this very room? The shepherds weren't expecting this. We weren't expecting this. This year, this division. But all of a sudden, the prophet Isaiah's words echo forward. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Sometimes, church, the light creeps up on you and takes you by surprise. Just like it did the shepherds that night. Unexpected, interrupting, sometimes blinding light. I can remember when we started the ascent. Uh, it was too dark for me to actually register it visually, but I could feel it in my knees, I could feel it in my ankles, I could feel it in my quads, and uh, I knew we were on our way up. We had been down in Mammoth Cave for about three and a half hours. Anyone else been spelunking? Uh, great. Um, uh, this will make a lot of sense then. Um, we had been down there a long time, and I remember the guide starting to tell us as we were making our way up, I want to give you a warning about what it's going to be like when you see sunlight. Now, we had had headlamps and there were some lanterns on the path, but a lot of what we were doing was really feeling our way around. It was really, really dark. So he wanted to give us a warning. It had been a while since we had seen sunlight. He wanted to give us a heads up. And I got to tell you, when those first few moments of coming out of the mouth of the cave and seeing that sun, wow, there was a power and an intensity and a kind of purity to the sunlight that was really, really hard. We had sunglasses on, <laughs> and it was still really hard to take in. Or think about this. Maybe you've had this kind of experience. Have you ever been in one of those sleeps, those deep, deep sleeps? the kind that involves drool. <laughs> and someone having to put a mirror underneath your nose to ensure that you're still alive. That kind of a sleep, right? And someone comes to get you up out of that sleep. And they come to get you up out of that sleep at one of those single digit hours. The single digit hours that no human should ever have to face like a 3 or a 4 a.m. wake up. Maybe there's a plane to catch. Maybe you've got a hunting or fishing expedition in front of you. But this person comes to wake you up. And they don't just come to wake you up with their voice. No, they come and they flip on the light. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's the kind of light that has power beyond explanation. The kind of light that hurts you physically. <laughs> 
The kind of light that somehow penetrates into the very marrow of your bones. That takes your breath away. That leaves you absolutely confused. Anyone know what I'm talking about? The shepherds that we're seeing in this text that the kids read for us today. They have had quite a thing happen to them. Uh, as you've just been describing, it's dark. This is pre-streetlights era Bethlehem. And they're out on the fields outside of Bethlehem, outside of the house of bread. And they have a light that shows up and that jolts them awake. A light that they cannot understand. It's not the kind of high-watt overhead bulb And it's not even like the intensity and purity of the blazing sun. This is another light altogether. Beyond explanation, beyond categories. This is light in all caps. Underlined and bolded. This is a different light altogether. It's the glory of the Lord that shines on these guys. Neither tightly shutting their eyes or putting on high-end aviators have a chance at shutting out this light. It's a light that the Bible says pierces the darkness. It's a really powerful, really poetic verb, pierces. It punches a hole in something. Like it, it opens up space where there wasn't before. It creates a little bit of space for it to enter into. And the shepherds, the text says, that they're terrified. They're filled with this kind of great fear. They're overcome with awe before the one who is beyond all of our comprehension and all of our understanding. The one who is greater than our categories and greater than our vocabulary. I can't help but wonder if maybe they were physically uncomfortable because of this light. I wonder if it hurt a little bit to encounter the intensity of the glory of the Lord that was shining around them. This is what I do know. That the shepherds in that moment were offered comfort. That the angel says, do not be afraid because I'm bringing you good news of great joy. So even in that moment, the shepherds, they are invited not to be paralyzed by the piercing They're invited not to be frozen by the fear. They're invited instead to seek the Savior, to seek the source of this great light. Do not be afraid, it says. And the shepherds decide to go and see what it's about. And as they're going, everyone, will you help me? This is what they say, remember? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's my encouragement, friends and family. Even when you cannot comprehend it, and even when it might make you afraid, and even when it might pierce you and make you uncomfortable, Follow the example of these shepherds and go wherever the light leads you. Wherever the light leads you. Believing that there is good news in front of you. 
believing that the journey and that the ultimate destination is going to result in praise and result in an encounter with the promised one. How many of us hurried to get somewhere this week? Three people? Okay, let's try this. How many of us hurry to get here tonight? All right. All right. You see those three kids? We hurried. We hurried. We hurried up to sit for an hour <laughs> or something else. We hurry to work. We hurry to get in line at the grocery store. We get real competitive pushing that cart, don't we? Right in front of the grandmothers and grandfathers. We hurry to meetings and appointments and play dates and interviews. We hurry to catch the bus or an airplane. And yet, deep down, the words of author John Mark Comer resonate to be true that hurry is violence to the soul. There's something incompatible with hurry and our ability to encounter God with awe and wonder. But it's important to remember tonight, church, that hurry isn't haste. Hurry isn't haste. In verse 16 of our account, the shepherds decide to go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. And how they went, how they went, isn't lost on me. Mm. Luke tells us, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Some translations say that they hurried or hurried off. One even says that they left running. So then what is the difference between the soul violence of today's hurrying and the journey of the shepherds who made haste? The difference is sputo. Everyone say sputo. Sputo. It's a Greek word. See this word that Luke uses here in the Greek, it translates to make haste, but it also means something else. It means to await eagerly or to desire earnestly. It's the same word Jesus uses in Luke 19 when he tells Zacchaeus, if you remember this story, he says, hurry and come down from that tree for I must stay at your house today. It's the same word I'd use for my daughters running into the kitchen this morning because she knew her birthday gifts were awaiting her on the counter. Sputal then isn't just about how efficiently we can get from one location to the other. Sputo is about what compels our hearts, not just what quickens our pace. My daughter's heart was expectant to receive something good in celebration. Jesus was calling Zacchaeus to a shift in heart altogether to a life of justice and generosity in contrast to one of exploitation. The shepherds weren't just running to beat everyone else to the scene. 
They were running with haste because they were expectant and desirous to behold this child, the Savior of the world, Christ the Lord, the one who generations before them had been waiting on as a fulfillment of a promise. Their hearts longed for this. And that longing led them to want to get as close to that child as soon as they could. Are you hurrying? Or is your heart so compelled by God's arrival that you're making haste? That you're putting your feet to the pavement to reach the gift The presence of Jesus, whether you've been hanging out in a tree or crouching at the side of a manger made from one. Church, the news of Jesus' arrival is good enough for us to make haste to be eager, to be quickened by desire. And I wonder if we'll allow the story, if not tonight in these few minutes, but at some point in the stillness of our bedrooms or in our living room before the fire, somewhere tonight or tomorrow, if we'll allow the story to capture us afresh and find us singing like the host of angels. Join me. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or might this story send us running to find the presence of a savior? Where might it lead us as the church? Where might it lead you? Will it lead us to an unexpected place? to people we never anticipated, to those on the fringes, the outcasts, the vulnerable. Hurry isn't haste. Put hurry away and let your heart set off running toward the savior it's been longing for this entire time. Tagged. I'm really grateful for anyone in my life who has ever had a really great meal, who's ever read a great book, saw a killer film, stayed in a good hotel, listened to an inspiring podcast, um, heard a song that desperately needed repeated listens, and then recommended it to me. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I mean it. Thank you. Uh, I heard one, you're welcome. Um, I am grateful for everyone who's had a great experience and didn't keep it to themselves. And that invited me into that experience so that I too might encounter the beauty and the inspiration and the goodness of all of those things. The shepherds in this story, they've been through a lot. No one would blame them if at this point in the story, around 16 or 17 verses here, if they just decided to pack it in and shuffle on back to their sheep and to the fields with this crazy story and just get on with life again. 
But the text tells us instead that the shepherds spread the word. And everyone that they told ended up being amazed. They didn't keep the experiences to themselves, but instead they risked being seen as delusional, being seen as exaggerators, liars. They risked all of that and they invited others to enter into the goodness and into the wonder and to the inspiration that they had encountered. To see something is one thing, but to make it known, to tell about it is another thing altogether. Christmas is not simply the anniversary where we celebrate Jesus' birth. This is not the one time every year that we stop and we throw Jesus our best-dressed birthday party. The season of Advent that we're coming out of now, the season of Advent, it ushers us to Christmas so that we will enter into uh, what I would call an active remembrance. An active remembrance where we will remember all the things that have been accomplished because of and in and through Jesus Christ. And we also remember the promise of the one day to come fully realized rule and reign of God. We're invited to actively remember those things. And one aspect of active remembering is telling, is spreading the word, is making it known. In our text. Oh, let me say this. Notice what we did tonight. I was thinking about this while I was standing there. Here's what we did tonight. We started with an announcement. Tim began, started this. We said these words. We said these words. Yahweh is now among us. We have nothing more to fear. And then we sang joy to the world. The Lord is come. And then what did we do right after that song? We entered into a moment of invitation. Go and tell it on the mountain. It's not enough to just encounter it. It needs a telling. It needs a spreading. In our text, the choir of angels, they're doing something just like this. They're telling when they sing these words. One more time, everybody. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's favor is for all people. What good news. <laughs> and the Savior has been born. What great news of great joy. We must tell it. I think this story asks us to consider what is yours to tell? What is yours to tell? Ashley made a really, really great observation this week. Without our telling, all of our encounters, all of our experiences, they're limited to only the eyewitness, to only the first person. It's limiting. But once we tell, we extend and offer and invite others into the very same thing. Through our telling, all are invited to be amazed and to join this great chorus praising God. So what is yours to tell? 
two encouragements. First would be this. You don't need something spectacular. You don't need something spectacular. Spread the word about simple and humble things that God has done. Tell of peaceful nights of sleep that you prayed for. I expected a lot more amens than that. Amen. Tell of moments when you sense the nearness of God. Tell of bridge building conversations. Tell of unspectacular acts of service. Tell of moments when you sense the spirit whispering. Tell of moments of a tenderness from a friend. You don't need a blazing light or a big choir of angels in the sky to be qualified to tell. Second encouragement would be this. Tell your own story using your own voice. You don't need to be a social media influencer. And you don't need to be a highly retweeted, verified personality in order to tell. Remember, it is to ordinary people, people like the shepherds, like a teenage girl, like a humble carpenter, like you and like me, to whom the Savior was born. God has always used unlikely and humble delivery systems to tell the story. What is yours to tell? In the classic carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, there's this wonderful verse. We, we often skip it when we sing it in churches, but it says, how silently, how silently this wondrous gift is given. But we are invited to respond and to join the chorus and to invite the weary world to truly rejoice. To join that heavenly choir to spread the word to make it known to tell as a symbol of our telling when we come to this point in our service we light candles and it's a physical symbol for us um, and it's a it's a way for us to do Tim's already hinted at it here it's a way for us to one notice how the telling comes out from here how the light spreads and then we notice as it moves around the room, this physical symbol of what it's like when we tell. We begin at this Christ candle, recognizing God is the source of our light and of our story. And then we carefully, and I mean carefully, especially if you have blousy sleeves, or if you have children with you, say, under the age of 25. <laughs> We carefully pass that light around the room. And we allow that moment to be a moment of awe when we say, what a joy to be part of telling the story. What a joy to be part of spreading that word. Be encouraged tonight, friends and family. May the thrill of hope be sparked afresh in you. And may you join your voice with the great chorus of angels praising God for all the things that you have heard and all the things you have seen. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And amen.